Welcome to the Next Level Soul podcast, where we ask the big questions about life. Why are we here? Is this all there is? What is my soul's mission? We attempt to answer those questions and more by bringing you raw and inspiring conversations with some of the most fascinating and thought-provoking guests on the planet today. I am your host, Alex Ferrari. I've always wanted to help the audience take their soul to the next level, so I've partnered with Mind Valley and other amazing free courses on spirituality, mind, body, soul, longevity, wealth, and so much more. All you need to do is go to nextlevelsoul.com forward slash free. Disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of this show, its host, or any of the companies they represent. Now, today I want you to get ready for an incredibly inspirational story. We have on the show near-death experiencer, Alyssa Rushton. And Alyssa's near-death experience is not only tragic, but how she got there, what she had to go through to transform, what happened during her near-death experience. All of it is just so inspirational. Where she was before being over-medicated by doctors to the point of death to where she is today is truly a hopeful story that we all need to hear. So let's dive in. I'd like to welcome to the show, Alyssa Rushton. How are you doing, Alyssa? I'm so great. Happy to be here with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk to you because you have this beautiful story of, you know, of trials and tribulations and, and survival and rebirth and literally life and death all mixed into one. And I really hope that this conversation is going to do some healing and inspire some people out there. So my first question to you is, what was your life like prior to your near-death experience? Yeah. So prior to my near-death experience, you know, it depends on which segment we pick up in. Cause like you said, my, my, story is sort of like this weird twists and turns and it's got every little thing we've got drug addiction we've got you know i left home when i was 14 i dropped out of high school so there's that chunk Mm -hmm. where i went at life on my own and then you know pretty soon i got into corporate america and Mm -hmm. i was a corporate sales trainer for a very large technology company and i was a corporate worker You know, so it depends on which segment we pick up in, but I think that for the most part, if I had to say what my life was like internally, it was filled with a lot of inner turmoil and a lot of trauma that I had never dealt with. And my theory on dealing with trauma at the time was smoke more cigarettes, drink more wine, work more, you know, how can we work even more? Mm -hmm. And so I think that sort of captures it in a nutshell. So when, so remind me, so before you had, before you had your near death experience, did you already start going through your physical transformation as far as, you know, you were overweight and then you decided to change your life and started to lose weight? Was that before or after? Yeah. So what happened was I was working in corporate America and I had recently got a a promotion. I call it to the cubicle of death, the gray cubicle of death. I don't know if any of your listeners have ever, or maybe you're currently working now in the gray cubicle of death. They might be listening to this 
in the cubicle of death. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> if you are, this is for you. Yes. Um, so I was in the gray cubicle of death and I had gotten a promotion to the gray cubicle of death and I had worked so hard to get to the gray cubicle of death, but it was sucking my soul. And uh, what started to happen is some little symptoms that I had ha had all my life, digestive issues and such started to become really big and to the point where I couldn't help but do something. And in fact, I remember one of my first days after I got this promotion, I heard two of the girls whispering, oh, do you think Alyssa's anorexic? Is she bulimic? And they're talking about me because I was so thin because I wasn't digesting anything. I, my digestion was so horrible. I didn't know I was gluten intolerant. I didn't know I had all these eating things that I couldn't be eating. I didn't know that smoking cigarettes was bad for you other than like it's bad for your lungs, but I had no idea it had any other impact on the body. So I started to get sicker and sicker to the point to where I had to visit some doctors. And that journey of handing over my health to somebody else who mm. I thought knew a whole bunch more about my body than I did. Mm. And I started on the drug train of like, well, uh, this yeah. medicine is going to fix this ailment and this medicine is going to fix that ailment. And before I knew it, I had a multiple laundry list of autoimmune disease diagnoses, MS, autoimmune arthritis, um, Lyme disease, uh, the list of chronic fatigue, fibromyalgia, the list went on and on and on and on and um, irritable bowel syndrome, like it was just so much, um, oh, um, celiac. So we started medicating it and I ended up working with a doctor who was like, we got to kill what's inside of you. <laughs> And so I ended up on an IV protocol, which was I had a PIC line installed. And for three years, I was oh medication every day, um, basically three hour blocks a day. But somewhere in there, I had to leave corporate America. I was I got so sick. I gained so much weight from the drug cocktail. Right. I mm -hmm. went from 95 pounds of me mm -hmm. to. 190 pounds of me in a pretty fast, pretty fast time frame because I was they put me on steroids as part of the this protocol. And uh, I tell you what, nothing makes you crave four pints of Ben and Jerry's like steroids. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. I've been there. It, it sounds like it was a cornucopia of a pharmaceuticals dream. Uh, basically, yeah, you were just like perfect young. We could have her on these drugs for years before she before she croaks and we can make a lot of money off this body. <laughs> right. And, you know, and what I didn't realize at the time is I just was getting sicker and sicker right. and sicker. And I thought, right, I thought, oh, I'm just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And I probably I always thought I'm probably not going to make it till 30. I always had that thought ever since I was young. Wow. And so, in fact, my near death experience was when I was 30. And so I just thought, well, this is it. I'm dying, you know, and that's the way of it. I didn't, I didn't actually realize the it was the medicine that was actually killing me. It was the medicine that was, you know, really damaging my body. So, all right. So you, so you go through this horrific, oh my God, I can't even imagine three years of that IV plus all those drugs. Uh, it, it seems so overwhelming. So what happened the day that you had your near-death experience when you when you died, my dear? 
Yes. Well, first off, I always say to people, you know, because people have a lot of thoughts about death. You know, I don't want anybody to die before their time, but actually my Please. belief is you cannot die before your time. But when you do, oh my gosh, Alex, it's the most soul expanding thing you'll ever do. It is like being rebirthed and reborn into such immense love and consciousness. And I mean, I can't, I can't highly recommend it enough. Don't do it before your time though. <laughs> please, please, everyone listening as a disclaimer, yeah. please, please don't leave before it's your time. Don't do it. But, uh, cause I can talk about that. I actually, because I was doing it before my time, I actually went to a place after I went to God consciousness, I went to a different place where one's go when you do it before your time and you actually so, don't want to be there. So we'll so talk we about, we'll, we're going to talk about that in a second. Okay. So what happened on that day? So the day that I actually died, um, you know, I had been, been infusing all day and they had given me some extra drug cocktails because I had a reaction to one of the main medications that they were infusing. So I had extra drugs in my system. And then when I came home, I was on end of life pain management. So think fentanyl suckers that they give to cancer patients, right? The ones that basically have a label, like I had labels all over my house that said, you know, if you're a caregiver, don't touch these because it can kill you just touching it. So these are things that they only give to people that are going to die anyways, because you might die while taking it. So I had an extra sucker that day and I, it ended up just being too much for me. And then that night when I went to sleep, um, I don't remember doing this, but I got up and um, I was having struggles and I went to the bathroom. By the way, if you are gonna die, do it on the toilet. It's a great place to do it. I mean, know? Elvis did it. Right? <laughs> it's just such an easy place. So I went to the bathroom and my husband, I was married at the time, I'm no longer married, but he found me on the toilet dead. Um, my, he had thought I had had a massive stroke though, cause my face was sagging, my lips were blue and my nails were blue. So meanwhile, that's back on earth, up in the cosmos, I was bouncing around in God consciousness. I was getting to explore galaxies and universes and uh, understand how this whole thing is made and formed. I understood quantum physics. I understood sacred geometry and mathematics that I have no way of knowing now, right? And I got mm. to witness and see all that plus be bathed in such deep bliss and love and I always say it's the most physical thing I've ever done without a body we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show mm. So, so at the moment that you died, what was the first thing that you saw? So this is funny because, you know, you hear some near death experiences talk about like pulling out of their body and all that. I completely bypassed a hundred percent of that. And I think that's because I died of a, a massive drug overdose, mm -hmm. right? So there was a level of consciousness that I wasn't, I think if I was awake, um, I would have seen the body. I didn't see that. I got up to the place that's God consciousness, what I call God consciousness, or maybe some people might call it monad consciousness. Mm -hmm. And literally the best way I can describe this is if you can imagine, Alex, um, 
a TV screen. Have you ever seen one of those security cameras that are monitoring like thousands of things at mm -hmm. once? Mm -hmm. It was like that, only not like that. I could pinpoint my consciousness in over a billion different places all at once. And I could, if I saw something that interested me, I could pull my consciousness in multiple places all at once. Mm -hmm. And what was cool is I could actually go into that and it, it felt like a um, um, like an elastic bringing my consciousness in it was a it was motion it was movement it was consciousness in form, but without physicality. Got it. Got it. So then you were all right, so you're jumping all over the place in consciousness, you are aware that you're you're gone you're dead at this point right really aware that I'm Ver dead like I'm you're so totally. So you're totally aware that you don't see anybody or don't uh, hear anything else? No, um, I didn't see any friends or relatives. And, you know, it makes sense because I don't have any friends or relatives that have passed on. Makes um, so you were young. Yeah, you were young, of course. Yeah, I'm 30. So I don't have anybody that I would come to greet me on and be like, oh, it's you. Mm -hmm. And so one of my theories about um, near-death experiences is, is the consciousness you hold when you die about the death is the first thing you experience. And, right? And so mm -hmm. you can listen to all the near-deathers and hear everybody's experiences similar but different, right? And mm -hmm. people see different stuff. So I just think whatever consciousness you hold about death, that's what you take with you and what you bring with you. And so for me, I didn't see people I felt enveloped. What I felt like is I was actually soaked into God consciousness or monad consciousness at the level that I could be at at that moment. And I was bouncing around the universe and, and learning and seeing. So what did you see? So what did you see when you were like, oh, I want to check that out. Like, where did you let go? What was those places? Yes. So some of it's really hard to describe because it was other galaxies, it was other planets that we sure. don't actually have words for. Fair enough. Some, you know, some of it was um, like I would see sacred geometry and I would see how it was formed mathematically and how the consciousness would come down from light and then form the sacred geometry and then form, 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 form. So I saw all of that. I was exploring, you know, near and far universes. And then sometimes I would I would see this person who caught my eye and want to like, go down into their experience or see an animal. And I could, the weird part is I could do it all at once. I've heard of that is the, the, well, like there's the, the theory of the multiple live series that you're living multiple lives at the same time mm -hmm. <clears throat> that a soul can play multiple games, if you will, yes. at the same time. So that, that yeah. concept makes sense to me. Okay. Mm -hmm. So you're at this point, you're bouncing around the universe. You're having a good old time. Sounds I like uh, in God consciousness, you're in full love. At what point do you go? Okay. This is great, but where am I? What am I doing? Where am I going? Where's my bot? Do you have any of these questions? Well, here's what was interesting. Okay, so here's what happened for me. So I remember seeing this one place and I thought. <clears throat> oh, sorry. That, about, say it one more time. That was me. I did that accident. I was trying to mute myself. We're <clears throat> back. So here's what's so, interesting right. is I saw this one place that I wanted to check out and it was earth. 
So I was really attracted to it. So I go down, I'm checking out earth. All of a sudden, instead of being in God consciousness, I am in earth. I'm here, I'm back in earth. And I realize I'm here, me, Alyssa, this Alyssa. Because up there, I was not Alyssa, by the way. I Mm -hmm. was consciousness. I was not the me-ish person that I am now. Now I'm back on earth. I'm Alyssa. I look down though, and I realize, oh, I don't have a body here, but I'm here in consciousness. And then I look around me and I see everything looks very much the same, except the sky is olive green and kind of like this olive drab green. And I I thought, well, I'll go and check on my ex-boyfriend from when I was 14. So instantly I pop to his house. By the way, I hadn't been in touch with him for years, but I popped to this house where I had never known of him at, but I saw him clearly in his condominium and I saw exactly what it looked like. And I was kind of hanging around him. He smoked and he drank and it felt very comforting to me. And so that's what I did. I just kind of popped around from person to person that I knew that had drug and alcohol addiction. And I didn't ever really know what this was until years later, I read a book by Savannah Arienta. And she, I'm reading this book and Alex, I'm, I think, oh my God, this woman is describing my exact experience. And because I always wondered about this experience and what she said was this is a place where people go from traumatic deaths, suicides and drug overdoses and it's a healing place. And that's very much what it felt like for me I I felt like I was getting this deep healing and I was moving around from person to person. And as I'm there a group consciousness came to me and they said hey you know this is going to be a very healing place for you and you can stay here but you cannot come back in the Alyssa body and if you choose to come back and the Alyssa body it's going to be the most extraordinary amount of hard work that you've ever faced but it'll be worth it and as soon as I was like yeah I'm going to come back the moment that I had that thought I got slammed back into my body it was like someone dropping me off a thousand foot building and slamming me down into concrete and I hit my body with a thud and I'm gasping for air and the EMTs I'm I'm in my bathroom now I've got 20 EMTs in my bathroom my husband's kneeling beside me and they're asking me questions that I don't even know what they're saying wow and then so at that point you are back back. do you 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 go to the hospital do you um process this how are you processing this it's like back here yeah so back in the envelope in the hospital now you gotta understand they gave me narcan so i here i am a total you know prescription drug addict and i my legs are flailing everything's going crazy I, I used a walker to get around and my husband's kind of looking at me like, good Lord, I didn't know you could move like that. You know, mm-hmm. in that moment, I realized what I'm doing or what I have been doing is killing me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yes. Whoops. Oh, this, this, what I'm doing is killing me. And it was my big, huge wake up call. So I got it right there in an instance and the pain differential between mm-hmm being up in God consciousness, bathed in oodles of love and bliss and just like 
feeling the yumminess of physical, like it's a very physical feeling of bliss and love mm -hmm. that I can't describe to. It's like taking off the tightest thing you've ever worn and just feeling expanded, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, coming back then to the super pain of the body was very hard, but I knew in that moment I had to make a change. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then really the next five years of my life, I set out to integrate the experience of dying, get myself off all the drugs and work my way. It was my break apart moment where my vase shattered into a million pieces. And then the next five years I spent gluing the pieces back together. So, so you, you basically was a deconstruction of yourself. Yeah. You had to be, you had to go be basically pulled apart and then totally. you had to kind of slowly pull yourself back together. When you came back, did you just start telling everybody that you had a near death experience or did you keep it quiet? And once you did come out of the, the near death experience closet, how did that work out for you? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's interesting at the time, only people I had to tell were my doctor, my medical team and my sure. husband. You know, my my parents were not really involved. They were not really around very much. And I didn't want to worry them to tell them, oh, by the way, I just died. Mm, you know, <laughs> just for a little bit, though. Yeah. Just a little bit. It, was, it wasn't that big deal. Just a little bit. No, um, right. It's Billy Crystal would say only partially dead, right? Partially um, dead. That's a great dead. movie. <laughs> right. And so I didn't tell anybody except my medical team. All my medical team knew. And so what they say? That was, they well, that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but it was a big oopsies, right? It was a big oopsies. And unfortunately, this doctor, I think I can say this, this doctor in the same year had killed three people from medical overdoses. Okay. So when you say your medical team, you're not talking about the medical team that saved you. You're talking about your medical team that's been around you all these years Terrible, doing all yeah. this stuff to you. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. So Ooh. she knew about it and she, you know, I feel very lucky that I wasn't the fourth to be all dead. Well, all dead, <laughs> just partially dead. <laughs> Okay, I'm glad we can laugh about this now. Yeah, right. Um, so you, so can you can you talk a little bit about what that journey, those five years, was like coming back? Because it seems it sounds like you you've gone through a lot of trauma in your life. Mm -hmm. You've gone through a lot of uphill battles, uh, pain, suffering, and you were essentially numbing yourself through drugs, alcohol, and then pharmaceuticals um, as well. So you were just trying to numb the pain. Yes. And then you had a wake up call and then you had the choice to come back. And then once you came back, you're like, okay, I've got work to do. Mm -hmm. How did you, can you talk a little bit about that for people listening? Cause I'm sure there are people listening who are going, not exactly the way you went through, but went through a lot of trauma and pain and trying to get through it. Yeah. And I think, you know, to your point, it's very traumatic just being a human being on the planet. Right. Just, the, just being yeah. a human being, what I learned from being up there, coming down here, and I talk about this with clients, it is traumatic being on this planet. We carry trauma. We've got trauma imprinted on us. And my family 
family, uh, you know, family with addiction and all that stuff. I just thought, well, that's the way of it. We just numb it out. We throw some dirt on top of it. We bury that stuff deep and then we pile, you know, we don't feel it, whatever we do. So yes, to your point, I spent the next five years unbecoming the person who couldn't feel or who was not willing to feel the uncomfortable thing. So I did, when you asked me what I did, I did everything. I threw the book over it. I'm sort of a classic overachiever mm -hmm. in the sense that I, I didn't know what to do. So I just felt called to do um, stuff. And the first thing that I did actually was I started researching sound frequency because on the other side, I got huge epic downloads about quantum physics, sound frequency, and the healing abilities of that. So I started researching and I came across Kelly Howell. In fact, I don't know if you've ever interviewed her. She's amazing. She's a meditation teacher and a mentor of mine. And um, I started listening to her meditations. And literally, you gotta remember, I'm 240 pounds. I use a walker to get around. I'm in diapers. I did not have the ability to just get up and walk and move around. So I literally for the first few months would just lay in bed, listen to this healing meditation and visualize myself as being able to walk and move around. And I remember challenging myself with my walker to just walk from my driveway down to the end of my driveway. And every week I would walk a little further and a little further. And I had a dear friend that would help me do that. And she would challenge me. And as I'm doing it, I would tell myself, my legs feel great, my legs feel great. Because it felt like my legs were actually amputeed stubs. They hurt so bad. It felt like I was just walking around on raw nerve endings. So there was a lot of reprogramming my mental mind as I was coming off the pain drugs because I was peeling myself off all that, my doctor actually wanted to keep me on every bit of the stuff. Of so secretly behind the scenes, I'm backing myself down and down and down and down and cutting, cutting, cutting without telling anybody because I was so afraid that they would say, no, you have to continue. Because I knew that that was the philosophy, like more drugs is always better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so I started doing the reprogramming work. I started doing the meditation. I started moving my body. Yeah. And I, that's where I started. And then I ultimately, once I got better enough to leave the house and be in more of a community environment, I signed myself up for, uh, I think it was a six week outpatient depression um, treatment program where you deal with the stuff. And I think it was Debbie Ford doing the work where we just did the work and we wrote about our traumas and our and all of that things that hurt us and did a lot of forgiveness work. So I started on the path. I did acupuncture. I hired a health coach. And one of the things for me, the most significant thing, I think, along with the mental and um, brain rewiring was talking to a nutrition professional and she looked at me and she said, do you think you might be gluten intolerant? And I said, oh no, I've been eating, you know, gluten and bread and dairy all my life. I'm definitely fine with those foods. <laughs> she said, well, okay, but how about you try something for 14 days? And she, I remember her name was Shelly and she had this magical sparkle in her eye and she was older than me, but she had this vitality and this beauty and this youthfulness about her. And I thought, whatever she's got, I want. 
and I'm willing to do whatever the heck it takes. So I just would do anything that Shelly told me because I could feel at that point, I could feel it was truthful. I could feel it was aligned. I could feel in my body. I was finally learning to be able to feel my body again, right? Mm -hmm. And because I had stopped numbing out, I could feel when things would inflame me. I could feel when a food would make my joints hurt more. So I then started to unpack my nutrition and you know that's now it's about 2010 2011 i i died in 2005 and uh i I really started feeling good i dropped all the weight i was back down to 125 pounds my normal fighting weight and uh i felt i was starting to feel really good but boy it was a long journey and a lot of you know dips and it wasn't all up i mean there was days where i felt like I want to die. This I'm so miserable inside of myself. I've got so much trauma I've never dealt with. Right. right? So, yeah. Well, so so when you were going through your journey, you it sounds like you got physically you got better faster than you got internally better. You know, me it it, it feels like it it did like I would go boost on a physical and then a a dip and then a boost and a dip on the mental. So it was, waves. So it was never like locks and steps together. It was waves of each. And it was forward two steps, back five steps. It was sometimes forward a huge leap and then back a little bit. And what I love about my journey, though, is I didn't do it as a fast 30 day thing that I'm just going to do. I literally had to strip away all the parts of my personality and reform a new personality, a new healthy behavior, new healthy coping mechanisms that, um, you know, now is beautiful that I get to also help people understand that they can do that too. And what I always tell people is, look, there's nothing special about me, right? I don't come from any cool family. You know, we're totally run of the mill, average everyday Joe folks. I don't have any special gifts, skills, or talents. I'm a normal human being. So if I can go from the depths of illness and mentally unhappy to where I'm at now, anybody can do it. It's possible. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Now, during your journey after your near-death experience, did you kind of go into uh, kind of a a track or a road of spirituality and start digging deeper into your own spirituality? What was your spirituality like before? Did you have religious beliefs? Did they change? How did that work? Totally. Great question. So I got raised in the um, Christian church. And in fact, my mom and I would go on these big mission trips when I was a kid to foreign countries. And I can remember when I was 12, we went to Thailand. And I remember um, the pastor saying, now we gotta help these people believe in Jesus because if they don't, they go to hell. And I remember thinking, this is hogwash. (laughs) Because here I am with these gorgeous people who are glowing from within. They're, oh, the kindest, most magical people I've personally ever met. Mm -hmm. And he's telling me they're going to hell. And I called him out on it. And I said, really, pastor, I can't believe that. And he's like, oh, no, it's true. And I said, at 12, I said, Oh, but it's not right. And that was the moment I had to tap out of my religion because I just couldn't believe it. It was such a break with 
a cognitive dissonant break with the reality that I couldn't believe that these people, and I, I refuse to believe in a God that would send people there. Because, so because, what, because uh, they were unfortunate enough to be born in Thailand and not in America. Like, right. you know, sorry, sorry. You didn't even right. know about. And then the question is like, well, if you didn't know about Jesus, it was, I forgot some, some guys like, I think it was a Buddhist once said, if I don't know about Jesus, would I still go to hell? Right. And then the and then the, the I think it was a, a missionary said, "Well, no. If you don't know about him, then you wouldn't have to go to hell." And it's like, "Well, why did you tell me?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I love that. And I was like, "Why did you tell me then? I, now I have to go to hell." <laughs> it's such an insane. That's it's fabulous, insane. <laughs> right? It's such a mental gymnastics. So the mental gymnastics broke for me at that point, yeah. but I still believed in a higher power. I still believed. But as I was going through my health kerfuffle, as I mm -hmm. call it, mm -hmm. I stopped believing. I couldn't believe that I had to go through this. But then obviously when I went up, you know, went out and had my near-death experience, I knew for sure that there was a consciousness that surrounded everything, that informs everything, that infuses everything. So I totally believed. And I, in fact, started into quantum physics. I started learning as much as I could. I started, I tried to come back with all the math um, that didn't stick, which is too bad. But um, yeah, so I, I started diving deep. I started going back to the spirituality roots versus the religious created by mankind roots. Mm -hmm. And my, my views, um, ultimately didn't change all that much because I didn't ever believe in this um, petulant God that would bless these ones and not bless those ones and send these ones onward and damn these ones to a worse place. My, my view of the universe became much more expanded. And now it's one that I, my current theory is that even though I'm a near-death survivor and even though I've experienced more consciousness than many people will before they die. I certainly, that wasn't the end. I could see that there was so much more to learn and know. And the moment I think I know something is the moment I know I'm wrong. <laughs> very true. Very, very yeah. true. Well, then from your perspective, you know, you've gone through so much in your life and obviously a lot of pain, suffering, trauma, and there's people listening who are doing that as well right now. Mm -hmm. And I want to hear from your point of view, why do we have to go through it? Why do we come down here? What's the point from your point of view? Yeah, so from my point of view, we come down here for a couple reasons. One, I believe that we're in multiple places all at once, right? And that I believe that part of this journey here in human form is to unlearn a few things as a soul that may have been braided in to the larger experience. Mm -hmm. Meaning that if we can come here and deal with the trauma that because on the other side you like you get to inform that informs the other side as well. So mm -hmm. my my current theory is we come down here to learn some lessons. Um, but that also those lessons inform consciousness above. So it's a two-way street. It's not just a one-way thing that's happening here. So it's informing consciousness. It's expanding consciousness. My feeling when I was on the other side was that 
I'm, I'm hopeful I can articulate this well, that God consciousness, divine creator consciousness, prime creator, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. it wants to be fully present in and through you. Mm-hmm. Meaning that it wants to be a two-part thing. Like, yes, there's the Alex consciousness, but Alex knows that Alex is a divine creator and you're always acting as such. Mm -hmm. And there's that desire. And here on earth, we haven't yet gotten to the place, many of us, um, where we can do that consistently 100% of the time. So what I think, it's less about the human experience here and more about can God consciousness come through you and can it hold itself as God consciousness all the time without going unconscious? That's an interesting. That's a very interesting point of view. I like that. Yeah, um, it's my present because, one. It might change. Yeah, exactly. No, it's it's this. You know, again, from my perspective, from talking to so many people uh, about these kind of topics from different fields of life, it, it keeps keeps coming back. This theme, this trend, I keep seeing is that the body is so heavy. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, it's like a big giant coat, a uh, very very thick thick coat, and it's difficult to even move around in. And the brain is this, also this kind of heaviness on top of your consciousness. But when you are able to disconnect or quiet that, you become wider. Your awareness becomes wider. Hence meditation, even psilocybin and and, and psychedelics take you offline. They don't ramp you up. They actually take you offline. And when you do that, you get access to this stuff that you, or or you die. That's another way to go offline. (laughs) And you get piped into the mainframe, if you will, mm-hmm. of of the universe. And you have access to all of that. But while you're here, you forget about all of it. And it's your job to kind of get yourself to remind, you said, you said have God consciousness come through you and stay there without going unconscious. That's a skill, but you have to raise your vibration to a point where it can hold. Make sense? Yes, yes. exactly what I'm saying. Exactly. Yes. So you also talk about in, in, in your work about victim mode and how did you break three from victim mode? Because I know I've met a few of them in my day. I'm sure I've played that part myself uh, here or there, but so many of us live in victim mode. What can we do to break free from that? Yeah, this is one of the hard parts because when you're in victim mode, you don't want to believe that you're in victim mode. You, and if someone were to tell you that you were in victim mode, you'd use it as a reason to be more of a victim, right? <laughs> so it's a tough thing. And I, and I believe that part of the wake up um, process that we're here to do, wake up and hold God consciousness or divine consciousness, is having some stuff happen where you ha- have a breaking point. And your breaking mm-hmm. point is I'm no longer willing to live as I have been. And I get that there's a different way to live my life that requires me to take 100% responsibility for every single thing that's ever happened to me Mm -hmm. in my life. And that's a tough one, especially if you're a victim of abuse of any kind, which I have been, you know, I'm a kidnapping survivor. So yeah, I know. So (laughs) The thing of it is, is you, you have to start to then take responsibility. So here's what I would say is if you feel like 
your life's not been going well for you, if you right. feel like you can never catch a break, if you feel like you're mostly checked out and not living in what I call the magic and miracle zone, where yeah. most of your life feels like, wow, this is amazing. If you're not there, likely you're in victim mode. And the only way to get yourself out of victim mode is to take responsibility for everything. And when you do that, you also get to take responsibility for healing your life and then everything can change. But the, when I'm still blaming my doctors for getting me as sick as I did, when I'm still putting the blame, anytime you're putting blame outside of you, mm -hmm. you just are never going to transform the situation. You're going to still be in that situation and you're going to keep attracting more situations to prove you right the universe proves your beliefs right whether you like it or not like whatever you're currently believing it's giving you again and again and again so you can hopefully change those beliefs so you're saying that we do co-create our existence our reality i think so we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor and now back to the show because it's i mean if you I've seen it in other people. Like they just think, oh, this is going to happen. I have this bad things happen. Bad things happen. Like bad things happen. And I've seen it in other people are like, no, if everything goes fine for me. Oh, this is going to work out great, and it works out great. It, it, it's it's interesting when you start looking at people and looking at their experiences like that because it's it is very 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 true. But I love the thing you said that's like when you tell somebody they're in victim mode, they use that as an excuse to go deeper into victim mode. Mm -hmm. So what did you need? Was it the whole experience that knocked you out of victim mode or did there something or a technique or something that you found that, oh man, I'm a, I'm playing victim. I got to get out of this. Yeah, actually it was somebody telling me I was in victim mode. And you went and deeper? I, I went deeper into victim mode. I was like, I can't believe the audacity they would have to tell me I'm here. But then I realized Actually, what they're saying is true. Mm -hmm. Actually, what they're saying, what they just told me is absolutely true. And I had to, at some point, look at that. Um, but for the people who are listening, that if you even suspect, like if you, if there's a part of you, because I still today will sometimes go into victim mode. It's, we're so programmed to do that, right? I still have those moments of, I can't believe this is happening, right? Mm -hmm. I think we all do. So if there's any part of you that's resisting the idea or the notion that you might be in victim mode, that's your first clue that you probably <laughs> are. Because somebody who knows like, oh, yeah, okay, this is a human tendency. We all have a tendency to do that, isn't afraid to confront it, right? So if there's a if there's something in you, then you're listening right now and you're like, no, nope, that's totally not me. That's, I would never know. Right, then probably you definitely want to go further into it. And here's the thing. Here's what's really cool that I want to tell everybody to what you what you just said, Alex, which is like you've seen people who can have these awful bad things in life happen to me and these people who have amazing things in life happen to me. When you learn to become the divine creator of your life, which is what I teach people how to become the divine creator of your life, how to use God consciousness in and through you every day, all the time. Mm -hmm. You can be in the middle of a horrific possibility situation where probably it's high probability that the stuff is going to go down. 
and you can use your vibration and your consciousness to actually shift the outcome. Well, do you do you believe this 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 is a term that changed my life when I really accepted it? Life happens for me, not to me. Totally. Because yeah. that's what you're saying, basically. It's like even in the worst scenarios, which you've gone through a few, and we won't have to do we don't go into we won't go deeply into the kidnapping scenario, but I'm like, what? I mean, how much more can they throw at you for God's right. sakes? I mean, for real. Or for real, for God's sakes. Um, the if you stop and say, Well, if this is happening to me, there's a reason for it. And if it's if I perceive it as negative, I have to figure out what my lesson is here. So I could go through this quickly, learn my lesson and move on. Yes. Fair? Yes. And, 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 and not only what's the lesson, but underneath of the hood, what is the belief that's driving some of these experiences? What do I believe about life? What do I believe about my ability to shift a negative situation? What do I believe about my ability to, the car looks like it's heading for a tree. What do I believe about my ability to steer away from the tree, metaphorically speaking, right? Right, right? And so it's a greater opportunity when life happens for you, no matter what it is that you utilize it. And I, and I always say you can utilize whatever experience as rocket fuel. You can use, utilize it as rocket fuel for your best life, or you can utilize it as rocket fuel to just have a horrible go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have to ask this question. Would you change anything? You know, to your point, I believe as unfortunate as it is for me personally, I needed the full reboot. I was so, I had abdicated so much responsibility for myself. I was not willing to look at anything. I listen along the way, I got the little, hey, Alyssa, might wanna take a look at this. I got the book upside of my head going, hey, Alyssa, take a look at this. I didn't listen to any of the pre ups <laughs> <laughs> the whispers, the nudges, the pokes, the sledgehammer until finally the car came crashing down on top of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't listen to any of it. So the universe is like, all right, let's, let's do the whole full reboot. Here we go. And, uh, which by the way is a very hard, you know, it's a very hard experience to go through all of that. Okay. So, you know, I don't recommend it. If you're listening now and you already know, gosh, my life feels like it's a bit in a ditch or i i know that there's an area of my life where i'm being called and being nudged to do something different and maybe it's even just making a little little tweak in your dietary stuff or a little tweak in your workout routine and you just have been feeling this back of the envelope noise around it Mm -hmm. do it you can be proactive and what i've learned now i didn't know this then but now i know boy it's it's so nice when you're proactive and you get that intuition and you go with it. Mm-hmm. Then what starts to happen is instead of life sort of waving, waving, waving on you to hit you with wave after wave, instead you're more like the person who's getting the waves to push them forward in a lovely, yummy life. Surfing. Path. 
Sur beautiful yeah. surf. Yeah. You're surfing those <laughs> waves. And so it just feels totally different when you're proactive and you're listening to the cues and you're tuning in and you're, which I imagine a lot of your listeners are doing. They're tuning in, they're making changes. You guys are amazing. You're listening to Next Level Soul. So of course you're incredible. <laughs> I mean, oh my gosh. And so, but you might know somebody in your family who you wish is was a little bit more proactive and a little bit more taking responsibility. And that's, and it's just every, and here's the thing, what I realize is we're in the midst of a massive wake up wave, mm -hmm. right? We, what we're about to go through collectively in the next two years is going to blow people's minds. Um, I, I put a number out there in a prediction video the other day, which I was hesitant to put out there, but I really do believe you're going to see people waking up in probably relative to like a billion people in the next two years. Mm. And what I know about a wake up is for most people that wake up is sparked off by some harder experiences oh, that get them to tune in. And that's just how we do it. But what I also know is what's on the other side of that for everybody who's woken up. You always will wake up. You will always, um, you know, in this lifetime, you have the best chance of it right in this lifetime, whoever your people are around you, this is their best opportunity to wake up right now we're being given so much opportunity and um, wisdom and guidance and internet YouTube videos to help us all wake up to that next level. Uh, Alyssa, you are an inspiration, my dear. Thank you uh, so much for coming on the show and sharing your the story and I really do hope it does help people listening. Now, before you go, I want to ask you a few questions to ask all my guests. What is your definition of living a good life? For me, it's being kind. Uh, at the end of the day, if I can show just about everybody I come across kindness and a little bit of like walking around radiating that um, feeling of where, where people just go, oh, wow, I feel, I feel different. That to me is living a good life. Um, yeah. Fair enough. How do you define God? How do I find, uh, define God? God is you. God is the computer. God is the earth we're sitting on. God is every single particle and cell and amoeba in the universe. God is, God is, God is. And what is the ultimate purpose of life? Mm. I think to expand consciousness. And where can people find out more about you and the amazing work you're doing? Ah, go to alyssarushton.com. Only one S in that Alyssa though. It's a weird spelling. <laughs> and do you have any uh, parting words for our audience? We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. Yeah, you guys, this has been a incredible years that you've been through already since 2020. And if you're listening, you're already awoken to a level. And I just want to thank you for being here. I want to thank you for your light. Thank you for doing the work of being a next level soul uh, because you are a next level soul and you're here. So remember that the more you radiate that next level soul, the more you help your brothers and sisters as human beings on this planet wake up to their next level soul too. Melissa, thank you again so much for coming on and, and sharing your story with us. I really appreciate you. Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This has been such a joy. 
I want to thank Alyssa so much for sharing her inspirational story with all of us. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash two, three, three. And if you've only been listening to this over podcast and you want to watch these amazing conversations, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at nextlevelsoul.com forward slash YouTube. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, trust the journey. It is here to teach you. I'll talk to you soon.